Welcome to Brand Designs, the podcast where we follow the stories from brand owners, founders and senior leaders in retail and e-commerce as they share their incredible journeys as entrepreneurs, innovators and troubleshooters. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome again to the last in this series of Brand Designs here with myself, James Davey, and also uh, uh, Nathan Lomax, as per usual. Good morning, Nathan. Morning, James. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Not too bad. And today, it's it's a great pleasure to welcome aboard James Marshall uh, from Wilby's Bespoke, who I know reasonably well, I think, now. But um, I can safely say those trophies in the background that we're seeing here on screen, James, are, are they all yours? <laughs> good morning, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, really appreciate you inviting me to come on to this. Uh, I'd love to say all those trophies are mine, but uh, I'm currently working out at the Yacht Club in Salkham, uh, where we are, as a team, we put this room out to really hammer out all of our web development work. Uh, so we front load it this side of the year. So, yes, uh, those are not all my trophies. And this is my current view. So for those of you listening on podcast, unfortunately for us on video, we're seeing a beautiful view of Salkham Harbour. So um, we're not jealous at all. Uh, but, you know, t- tell us a little bit around um, Wilby's Bespoke and why, why Salkham? Because you're based literally on the water's edge down there, aren't you? Yes, we are. So Wilby's Bespoke, we've been going for about just over five years. Um, both Will, my business partner, Will is in Wilby's and myself, we both gravitated back to this part of the world. We grew up here, spending our summers here, and myself, well over 15 years ago, and for Will, probably over 20 years ago, just decided to make this place our home. Uh, Why Salkham? I mean, you just saw very briefly there, it it is a beautiful part of the world, and it's really a lifestyle, but you have to combine that with, obviously, commerce and business. Um, so they they both go hand in hand, and and Salkham has lended itself to some well known brands uh, which have used Salkham as an anchor, and uh, that's a little bit of what we're doing with with Willbees. And so, James, I'm keen to understand. Obviously, going into business with Will, you knew him beforehand. How have you divided up roles and responsibilities? Have you got some clear swim lanes for he does certain parts of the business and you do others, or do you tend to yeah. share responsibilities? Yeah, no, 100%. I think that is uh, that is definitely one of the, the key and, and the crux uh, points of any partnership uh, is you both have very different skill sets. Um, the, the day you start overlapping with your business partner is the day when I, I think um, things become a bit unclear. Uh, Will is very much brand. He's very much design. He's very much the magic and the, the sprinkling of that star, stardust around what the brand is and the experience you get as a customer and and, and walking into our shop in Salkham or seeing our website for the first time or um, walking onto our stand at Chelsea Flower Show, that sprinkling of magic, that brand experience is Will. Um, Myself, I'm completely the opposite side of that, so I'm more commercial. So I look at the black and white side of the commercials. I look after the sales and marketing and the strategic rollout of, of that side of the business. I do say it's, you know, Will and I, in, in terms of how we look after the business, that they're both very separate skill sets. Um, but I think the one thing we have in common is we're, we're good at communicating. So therefore we, we can communicate both those sides of the business to each other uh, regularly, which is important. 
Because yeah. yeah. it is yeah. a challenge sometimes when you start up a business similar, you know, Nathan and I, we each have compatriots. It, it can be difficult when you um, find that as the business develops, trying to then put some of those skill sets into others you bring into your business to give you some of that bandwidth to kind of continue to work well together. How, how does that, how has that kind of worked with Will Bees today? Because you, you, you have a retail store and you have the online store and you have kind of um, concessions as well. How have you found kind of scaling it to be a challenge for you guys in, in terms of responsibilities? I, 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 it is a challenge, the scaling side of it. I, I think if you were looking at our traditional model five years ago, which probably physical bricks and mortar would have been quite a big part of it. So shop, concessions, events. Um, and I think if we were still running in a sort of a traditional lifestyle retail model, that that would propose a cha- pose a challenge to us. However, uh, where we've pivoted as a business, and this was fortunately for us before lockdown, um, was we very much wanted to go down the digital route and what we're finding and what we work very hard on. So not just about let's maximize the growth, let's how do we win the sales, how do we win the customers, but we work very hard in the background to making it an efficient system. We automate it where possible. Um, and it's all about what platforms we use to, to manage either those projects on or that weekly recurring workload. So I think, yes, it's a challenge. I think the more digitized strategically you become in terms of as a retail channel, um, it, it's easier to work with digital tools out there, um, if that makes sense. James, I'm keen to understand the last five years, it's been a real roller coaster, and uh, Will Bees is really uh, a huge success story of Sulcan, but I dare say there's been plenty of challenges along the way. What are some of those challenges? And I'm sure many owner founders listening to this will be able to relate um, because I'm sure it's the same for many startups. But yeah, what challenges have you guys faced in that time? So, uh, a good example of a challenge is uh, being at an event. Uh, Gatcombe, or was it Gatcombe? No, Goodwood Revival, uh, pouring with rain. We'd taken less money than it had cost us to be there. And as I'm driving out, soaking wet in the truck, I get stuck in the mud. Everyone has gone and I'm there knee deep in mud trying to dig the truck out whilst I get abuse and laughter from the rest of the team on WhatsApp about trying to do that. So, I say that it is a very, it's a funny story, but it's a classic example of owner operated business uh, where you are responsible really across the board as to what's going on. Um, I, I think that, you know, from a commercial point of view, the challenges for us, the biggest challenge has been about getting the audience growth and the brand awareness out there, but to understand what our USPs are. So we are a brand that is handmade in England, we personalize every bag for you, which is complimentary. And each bag is mostly unique. So there's there's three streams to that. The personalization element of it is that magic stardust that you get physically. So when you buy a bag from us, it's personalized right there in front of you. If we had a video camera that could record the customer's reaction, 99% of the time, it's a huge grin and it's just a, it's a lovely reaction. So our biggest challenge has been as a brand, how do we replicate what happens physically to us in shops and at events where people are just loving what we do? How do we get that onto a website? How do we digitize that? So if you've never experienced us before, seen us before, 
how do you get that little bit of magic and wow when you see us for the first time online? I think that's one of our biggest uh, challenges to date. And the experience for you has actually been as a brand, it's been one of the key differentiators I think for you you know walking into a retail environment you know I've been down to the store in Sorkham the experience you get in that store is absolutely incredible it is it's like nothing else you'll see uh, kind of in the high street today really it is it's really quite something so how do you distill that down into something you can place into other environments how important is that experience do you think in retail at the moment I, I think it's very important. I think uh, the traditional high street is recognizing this uh, in any case. I'm not, I'm not saying anything new now. I think I would have been saying it three years ago, but the high street is definitely moving in that direction. The experiential um, uh, rollout, trying to do something different. And it's not necessarily all about sell, sell, sell. It's if the customer can work, walk out of your space, having had a good experience, they're going to be far more likely, surely, to come back either physically or online to buy, and they will tell people about you. Uh, so when it comes to that, I think we were lucky from the start that personalization was something we put at the forefront of our brand. Um, to give you an example, if you come to us at Chelsea Flower Show, the first thing you will probably see are beautiful embossing machines at the front of our stand. So we place our experience at the front of our retail, and it's the same in our show. Whereas if you walk into another brand, for example, not a direct competitor, but a well-known brand in London who might do beautiful leatherware that is personalized, if you walk into their Mayfair shop, their personalization machine is right at the back of the shop. So even though you can get the bag personalized, that's not their priority. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but we have chosen to make that the forefront of our brand. And then around it is obviously the beautiful product that we have make in England. James, coming out of COVID, obviously events did form a large part of your marketing strategy going into lockdown. You mentioned about pivoting just before. Do you see yourselves pivoting back and uh, re-involving events as part of that outreach? Or actually, do you think that now, as you go back out of lockdown, events won't be high on the agenda? That's a really good question. And I think so before lockdown started or was even being considered, we uh, our peak did 12 events in a year and they are a lot of work, these events. So basically, if you imagine each event takes you out of the business for two weeks from build to running it, to coming back to unpacking and getting some sleep. Um, we had decided just before lockdown that we were actually only going to go and do one event. So, and that was because we had decided to become a much more digital business and we had decided to just do Chelsea Flower Show. There are some very good events out there that we love and we love the people that organize them and you become part of a family. So it's a, it, it was a very tough decision to make, but we did that because we felt where we'd reached to as a brand and the audience we had won, thanks to the events that we used to do, we now wanted to maximize using our digital work and improving our digital experience to our web and, and our website and our offering. So I don't think we were planning to come back to events too soon. However, we do get opportunities come up. So these concessions that James, you mentioned earlier, we have shops that really wanted to have our brand in their shop. So we do have three concessions out there where they have our machines and they personalize our bags there and then for the customer. So, and, and they play a part to building brand awareness and there's a bit of commercial um, input on it. 
would we consider more events down the track? I think if we had unlimited budget and we could employ a team that could go and do it and it didn't impact on our core business, we would do it all day long because it is a very, very strong marketing tool to be at the, at, at the coalface talking to your customers and winning customers. But right now, we've got a good 18 months at least of working really hard on digital before we start looking up again at events. Yeah. Because it's all about picking that right event, isn't it, for that customer base. When you know that customer and where you want to get to, the great thing about some of those events is, you know, we, we, we're doing it with a, one of our other um, clients is a greenhouse manufacturer and ultimately they go to all the kind of the RHS shows because they're just then surrounded by the perfect customer to buy the product in that space and they're kind of there for the whole day they'll see you three or four times how much trust do you have to place into you're talking about bringing a team in how much trust do you think you have to place in that team and how do you get to that point of being able to trust a team that you can effectively step back from being that close to that event and going this is my business this is this is what i this is everything we are being pushed to the perfect customer because that that's that's quite a jump isn't it that is a massive jump and i think uh, if I knew the answer to that question, uh, we'd be doing it straight away. I, mean, that, I think any owner-operated business where you have a separate team out there at the coalface talking to your customers, as an owner-operator, that's very hard to let go of. And 50% of the time, with the best will in the world, whoever that team is, they will not be communicating the brand like you would. Uh, and I'm not saying it's just because I'm an owner. I say that with the core team that we have. You know, we've got a very tight core team that have been part of this business from the start. I would trust them implicitly as much as I would trust myself to talk about the brand. But to bring in any new team and get them ingrained and, and how to talk and, and that whole attitude that we have, uh, I think would be a massive challenge. So even if we reach a stage in 18 months' time where that budget might be there, I think it would still be quite a big discussion we've talked a little bit about events uh, in this episode and it's a huge opportunity for many retailers however james have there been any other marketing tools or tactics that you guys have rolled out that have been hugely successful uh, and fundamental to your growth i think uh if you could look at so from a, an awareness campaign, so top of funnel marketing work, I think for us, social media has, has been very strong. Uh, I think Instagram, um, if you get it right, you can, uh, and you're prepared to put the time in, you can find some great collaborations, primarily with influencers, but also with other brands, where just by swapping product and offering product up, you can get some very good awareness campaigns out there, which serve various purposes. One is the general brand awareness. Two is uh, the, the, the um, follower growth. So basically your database growth on social. Uh, and, and three is the customer engagement. Um, and as you work on all those three sides of things, it's hard to measure immediately. So if you're looking at ROI, it's like, yeah, great. We've won a thousand new followers in three days. What does that mean for sales? Normally it means nothing. Like you won't see a direct impact on sales. However, what we're seeing is as our social media awareness grows, as our followers grow, uh, there is definitely a direct correlation with website traffic. Um, and certainly when we announce new events or new campaigns or new products, we definitely now start to see spikes from social media. So I would say that side of it has, has, has been a success.
um, story for us uh, at the moment and something we're pushing and pursuing. So from a, from a, let's just talk a little bit around that, because I think there's how much of when you're going out and sourcing collaborations and sourcing um, kind of, let's call them influencers, how, how, do you, how do you make sure that they are kind of really playing to the same values as you guys or playing to the same tune as you guys? Or, or is, is it more around just looking for those with the largest follower count? Absolutely not. So when we first started, I would say that's what we look for. Who's got the biggest number of followers? If they haven't got less than 100,000, let's not even contact them. What we found, though, very interestingly to start with when we were quite green to it was sometimes uh, an influencer that would slip through the net that we would work with with only 30,000 followers would get a far better reaction than an influencer with 200,000 followers. Um, we were very green at this stage and didn't really understand that, but that all comes down to the engagement of that influencer itself. And there are various tools out there that you can look at that will actually tell you what sort of engagement metrics they have. Um, you've, you get to learn which, you can quite quickly see which influencers are out there purely for the product and trying to swap product for what they're trying to talk about. And if they have a high frequency of competitions and giveaways, then actually we thought to start with that was good, but we, we're now shying away from that. What The ones we feel we get the most engagement with now and results from are the influencers who talk to their own followers and talk to their customers. And it's not necessarily about promotional giveaways. It's just about the trust that their followers have in them. So if their followers are seeing useful posts on a regular basis that they want to engage with and then suddenly they see our brand on it even if it's not a competition we are now finding those posts get us more traffic um so that's how how we've changed that and uh, i think for any brand out there thinking that um you know you, you've got to work hard at your influencers to start with and i would say before you work with any and this is what we do now is you have a conversation with them and it's all very you know you just start talking to them and don't expect to be able to say, here's some product for free. I want you to do X, Y, Z, because you can't dictate what they say. But if you put some trust into them and just say, do what you feel is right with this product and it comes from the heart, I think followers can see that instantly. If it's, if it's a genuine post, people see that. As soon as it starts becoming forced, yeah, that, so, there's no point. So it's that. like any partnership, really. You've got to invest the time and the effort up front to, one, make sure that the partnership is going to work because they're, they're wanting your product for a reason as well, for them to yeah. be seen with their their followers that they're still the latest in showing the great product or style or design or whatever their thread is. Then it, it still comes down to making sure that relationship is as solid as it can be. Um in order to actually get the best out of it from both worlds, rather than just mailing out 20, 20 packs of product, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And for example, we're very lucky because a lot of the influencers we speak to uh, visit Sulcum uh, or use uh, Sulcum as an excuse to come down and visit. So I actively welcome them into the store. We bring them in. We show them what we do. We actually get them on the embossing machines and we just have a laugh with them. They meet the team. You know, we've got such, you know, one of our biggest assets at, is the team you know you get an influence in the shop to meet the team we had one earlier this week um and it was just I was, Earl, wasn't it yeah i was meant to go down on my own but 
you know, thank God George was there and, and then uh, Bolly was there. And if I'd done it on my own, she probably would have left after 10 minutes, just been bored still. But I, you know, when you've got George who looks after our fabric designs, sourcing the, the where things come from, you know, and, and then Liz tuned into that and then it becomes a discussion. That's genuine, that's real, and then it becomes interesting. But rather than me boring Jones talking about commerce and what can we do. So James, I'm keen to understand uh, a little bit more on the personal side rather than business side around uh, any self-doubts that may have ever crept in or any negative thoughts, because a lot of owner founders we talk to, while it may look really lovely on the surface, actually underneath, they do have those days where they don't think they're good enough or capable or whatever. Have you ever had those thoughts? And if so, how have you dealt with them? Uh, so I get those thoughts every day. Um, I, I think as a owner operator of a small to medium sized business that's trying to grow, I would say to anyone even thinking about it or anyone in it, if you're not experiencing those thoughts every day, I, I get it, but be prepared to experience it. I think the way I have dealt with it is by learning. So to start with, uh, it, it's quite a rough ride. Self-doubt is, you know, if you're not it's something that can really cripple your decision making and I think it's how do I deal with that so I've been very fortunate to be surrounded a it's the team are very good and encouraging but b if you start to learn about just um, accepting that in business you are going to make mistakes so accept that deal with it but so long as everything you do you set a timeline you set a plan for and some sort of response that you want out of it. And if you get down to the end of that and then you realize, okay, well, it hasn't achieved that. That's fine. You know that you failed. No problems. Why did you fail? Work it out. Move on. Do you want to try it again? Or do you want to do something different? And I think, I think I'd be a billionaire if I could write that in a book and give it to anyone wanting to do this. Uh, I don't think you can. You've just got to go through it. You've got to write it. So if anything helps, like going surfing or swimming or whatever it is, knitting, it just doesn't matter. Whatever you can find outside of the business to just calm you down, get you thinking about something else, family, kids, all that side of it, being busy with whatever it is. Um, that's, I suppose, my get out of it. I was going to um, say, you managed to switch off because, again, a lot of owner founders may have kids and actually even there they can't always be present in the moment because they can't help but think about work or what's going to happen tomorrow or what's happened that day. Have you managed to get that balance between, you know what, it's now this cutoff point, I can enjoy time at home with family, with friends, etc.? Yeah, um, I'm uh, on the cusp of being 48 and I think I'm just about getting to a point where I can say that I can do that. But I have spent, you know, it, that takes time and experience to do. And uh, I think my business partner, as a good example, he, he is very strong at just if there's a, a big error or a mistake, actually it's just, you know, just laugh at yourself. Just have a good laugh at yourself. And it's like, yeah, okay, I've made an error. This is wrong. But so long as you put some steps into place as to what goes on, try not to take it too seriously. And absolutely, when you are back home, if there's a way that you can cut that out of your mind, it's not always easy. But if you can, you've, what always happens is the next day you are far more refreshed and far better equipped to deal with the next day than if you think about it all night. Because you're not going to achieve anything about thinking about it all night. We all know that but we all still do it.
And does surfing do that for you? Is that your kind of open water, get out there, kind of on the boat, on the board? Is that your kind of disappearing act? Yeah, that is why I, I would weave into that my kids uh, and my family, who luckily are very much part of that, uh, the ocean, um, 100%. But equally, on the rugby pitch, my daughter plays great rugby at the local club. Watching her, you know, at training on a Friday night, love it. So I would say, yeah, the ocean, salt water, for me personally, is my medicine. Um, however, I weave into that, just being busy with the kids. And, you know, with kids, they distract you and you can't avoid but just think about them at the time rather than work. <laughs> so, yeah. Into perspective very, very quickly. Yeah. They? They, are, they are the harshest critics and also the biggest supporters you'll ever have in one dose, which is... Absolutely. Know. And harshest critics, you know, I had a haircut the other day and uh, I got home and my son said, Dad, you look like one of the characters out of The Muppets. <laughs> nice. Did you press for which one? I was, I was kind of... I'll show you in a second. I've got, I've got a, he actually designed a photo about it, which I'll, I'll show it to you in a second. Um, bear, with, bear with me one second. Um, nice. <laughs> Lovely. So, Birds. yes, my harshest critic. Fab. So those of you listening, we currently have a picture of Bert on our screen sitting next to James's face. So, you know, Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street, a perfect example of a team made in heaven. Does that mean that Will is Ernie? <laughs> is that is that something we need to work on? Actually, I think I don't know who it will be. Maybe the the crazy rocker. Who's the drummer? Maybe the drummer. Animal. <laughs> Animal. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, actually, that would be hilarious. No, but yeah. So you know, when you get things like that, I mean, it's it, you know, it, work becomes completely secondary, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And then you know, but during the day, like now, work is very much at the forefront of my mind. But as soon as I get those kids in the car, or I'm out with them. Yeah, they're a good distraction. Good. I'm going to bring it back to work and talk about internationalization. Uh, obviously, the, a massive USP for your beautiful products. Are they all handmade in the UK? Have you looked into or perhaps you're already uh, selling internationally and playing on that USP? Or is that something that you hope to take Willbees in due course to say, actually, we're going to enter the US market or the European market or perhaps Australasia, etc.? So, really good question. I we do sell internationally, and that's not through direct targeting. It's just as as a default of our brand. I would say it's probably also a default of working at the likes of Chelsea Flower Show, which have a very international audience, and uh, also Sorkham as a visitor destination has actually surprisingly quite an international audience. Um, primarily expats living abroad. So yes, we do um, sell internationally, but probably a very small percentage of our sales are there. Uh, the main reason for that is we have yet to target an international audience in any way, whether it be Europe or the US. I have previously, with a previous life, worked with quite a large wholesale and retail brand uh, in the homewares market and have experienced directly what it's like to try and grow in the US. I think you need deep pockets, and um, I appreciate with the way digital uh, world is going now, uh, things are much easier, and you can outsource a lot of the work, and you can do drop shipping and that side of it. But I've seen the challenges that are there. I have also seen the opportunities that are there, particularly in Europe. But I think we've got a lot of things to get right first at our end, and we have a much bigger market to attack in the UK, 
before we even start raising our heads to look at Europe or the US. I think if a really good operator came to us from Australia, for example, and said, right, let me license what you do, show me how to do it, let me do it out of Melbourne, let me do it out of Sydney, I think we would look at something like that. But us physically getting involved in a, in a marketing or trying to target another territory, I think it's a great opportunity, but we've got it in the bank for maybe next year or the year after. Because international is always one of those um, things on a tick box list for quite a few owner founders. You know, how fast can I do this? So it's it's the bright and shiny. Yeah. How yeah. how easy is it to get distracted by the bright and shiny on a day to day basis? You know, how how do you keep yourself focused in a in a direction that gives you a, a sense of a sense of direction? Because it is too easy to go. Oh, that looks great over there. Let's do Europe. Let's do Australia. It can be can be a massive yeah. distraction. I'd take it. So that we get that every day. I'm the biggest. I, I love opportunity. I love exploring opportunities and I love new ideas. And um, But I think there's a very simple answer to that, which RFD just always WhatsApps back to me or says to me as I'm going on about some amazing idea. Uh, sales, sales is vanity and profit is sanity. Simple as that. Because it is your your time is the most expensive in the business in many ways, isn't it? In terms of owner founders, you are you are the most expensive resource in time cost to any yeah. business. So if you're if you're kind of spreading yourself so thin, then yeah. it, it can be very easy to kind of you know lose sight of that bigger picture. I take it. Yeah, absolutely, and I think we have a lot more to work on on our current platform and setup to improve before we start and before we start looking at other ideas. So uh, what we've done at the start of the year is we came up with a plan called stop, start and continue. So you put in stop what you're gonna stop from the year before, continue and start, and then review it every three months. So we're not, we check ourselves every week we go through it. So if we're trying to do something outside of it, we're like, what? You know, we then have a, a record of what we agreed that we were gonna try and do this year. So. We have plenty of things to do that if we execute well and do it right, that's going to give us the best opportunity to hit our sales this year, 100%. Yeah. So I think it's you've got to be as regiment, regimented as possible and, and just stick to your guns. Yeah, I think the, the big the thing there around is around patience as well, right? That actually, okay, there's new shiny opportunity over here or perhaps a shortcut to get there. I think it's been impressive on the Wilby's journey, the fact you guys have surrounded yourself with people that have been able to be in there, seen it, done it, or at least help. In terms of inspirations for yourself, James, who have you come across that you think, you know what, yeah, they've really helped us on this journey, or uh, I've read books by that person, or I've listened to that podcast or whatever. Is there anyone that really stands out as that inspiration behind Will Bees? Uh, so on a, on a personal level, I, I learned huge amounts from my proper first corporate boss in my olden days, a chap called Gareth Flynn. Um, it was really more about his diligence and attitude to work and hard work and patience. Because yes, you make mistakes, but if you continue working on something that has a commercial uh, foundation, you will get there. Uh, more recently, um, a good friend of mine, a guy called Ali Cook, who's the owner founder of a, a brand called Nakuku, um, absolutely. Um, I, I learned a lot from him too. And that was about making hard decisions and how, you know, sometimes where, you know, it, it looks like you're backing down, 
just make 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 the call even if it it feels like you know you you've agreed something already but actually you're going to go the other way uh, making hard decisions so I, I would say uh, you know from a from an external perspective I'd say them and then you know JD not just because you're in on this call Mr James Davey but you know you've been a big part of our digital journey and we pivoted to digital before lockdown because of James Davey um, I got to know you through Jules and through our connections with Jules at events then I met you in London several times before we even started talking about things but you know a big part of pivoting uh jd you know as you know was was part of your influence so there we are i think that the, the great thing i see from will be's having spent time with you in it and outside of it in many ways is is the constant strive for i'll call it perfection in product because ultimately there is this there's this underlying principle in will's mind isn't there around how without good product the rest can't happen um and how much do you think that's I, i'm not going to ask the question how much do you think that's been part of your success because it is part of the the values and the thread of what you are but do you feel as though there are some brands who almost sacrifice quality for volume 100 percent, and i i think that's uh, it, it has its place in commerce um, volume and if you're not too worried about the frequency repeat purchase of your customers and the, and the trust that they put into you so uh, but I think regardless of what anyone else is doing out there we are very very specific and focused on what we want to deliver and as you've just said James you know quality of product for us and the experience of receiving that product is one of our main ambitions and what we keep striving to improve um, purely because we believe that's, well, A, it's ingrained in handmaking in England is quality product. Handmade in England means quality product. So regardless of what we want to do, it's quality product. But from a customer trust perspective and referrals and talking to other friends about it, you know, that's part of the growth for us. James, if you could roll the clocks back five years to when all this started, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have changed or anything you would have done significantly differently? I would have stayed in my permanent job. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just had an uh, easier life. <laughs> I, I think um, if I could talk to myself five years ago, I would have said just focus purely on being masters of your own digital world and get on board the social media bandwagon, get in there early, build it up, almost become an influencer yourselves as a brand. Uh, yes, use the events as an as a audience growth, but put all your investment, time and effort from a brand creativity and so outside of product, put it into digital. That's what I would say gonna, to myself. You're going to expand on that. Any... Go on, James. Sorry. I was just going to say in terms of personal brand, that was uh, an interesting thread you just touched upon there, the importance of personal brand for owner-founders. Is that something that you guys will look to explore in the next 12 to 18 months to really tell the stories behind the founders as well as the brand itself? Uh, yeah, I think... 
if you looked at the whiteboard of the work we're currently doing at the moment, um, part of our digital work on social media is talking more about Will and, you know, because he is the creativity and the story behind the brand. So it's talking more about him day to day, you know, even right down to the point, one of the points is barbecue. You know, he often will have a barbecue off the back of his boat, you know, tucked up the estuary with his family. Let's just talk about what we do. Uh, and it's not through vanity. It's just because that's what people want. People are interested. It is some you of the know, best we performing. are a brand. It's not a vanity thing. It's what do, you, what do people want to see on social media? What do they want to look at? Is it bag after bag after bag? No. Maybe the odd bag. But yes, the bag being worn by a general member of the public in a lifestyle perspective, yes. And then also what the team is doing. So it's not just Will, but also, for example, what George might be doing. She, she does a lot of wild swimming at the weekends. Um, we've got, you know, Hayley, who, who's always out and about riding horses. What do we do as a team? And I think that's just be, be yourself. I think that is also interesting, not from a vanity perspective, but just... I think our customers would be interested to see that. It's basically On showcasing the lifestyle, the, the lifestyle yeah. that comes out of the place where the brand has come from, isn't it? It's that yeah. kind of, because uh, let's be honest, Jack Wills is another brand that started literally a few doors down on the high street of Sulcombe. And that was their whole season air program and everything that came from that was targeting, you know, putting a Land Rover on a beach, you know, with uh, the young generation that lived the lifestyle around Sulcombe to buy into their brand. And it's really difficult to do though. It's, it's not, it's, I'd imagine it's really hard to find that balance between brand and commercial output of, I know I've got to try and make this make money. I'm investing time and effort into this, but I also need to balance the, the, the customer interest and not annoy them or kind of distract them with, you know, constant pushes of bags. Yes, a hundred percent. And I, I said so the what I'm talking about is, uh, more the social media channels, so not paid, but just a general social media discussion, which I believe is a part of what we talk about, but probably quite a small part of what our customer sees. So if you look at our website, you will now, it is always product, but it might be product in a lifestyle context with Sulcom in the back or on a model. What we're not going to be doing on our homepage is having a photo of me or Will or George or whoever doing their swimming and stuff. So what I'm talking about is from a social media perspective, just about that has its place. But if you look at our website from a mobile phone or from a desktop, it's it's actually quite commercial. It's product. Mm. So uh, it's the I think there's in many a, ways, isn't it? It's it's the till in your tilling. store. Your, yeah, yeah. Whereas so where I'm talking about, you know, a barbecue, that is that's a social media piece, and it might be a photo at the, at the bottom of an email, but it's not going to be the main discussion point uh, to our customers. Chaps, we could talk all day about Wilbies and the story and everything else, and I'm conscious of time, but final question from myself, James, is just a little bit of a sneak peek into what Wilbies looks like in the next 12 to 18 months without giving away too much secret sauce. What's going to happen? What are the plans? So we have uh, a, a collaboration that we started towards the end of last year with um, the ex-head of Liberty Fabric Designs, we got to know her very well at Chelsea Flower Show several years ago. She's called Emma Morstan. If you know your Liberty Fabrics, she's probably designed it. So any of the iconic fabric. What we're doing with her is we, and have already, uh, we've done a project where she has 
visited this part of the world and hand-painted local flowers and local bees, which are native to our local area. And we have made fabrics out of them and subsequently we've made bags out of them and we are going to be making other products with. We dipped our toe into that market towards the end of last year and it's rapidly become one of our best sellers. It's also links us to conservation. So we're part of the Bumblebee Conservation Trust, which is where we're trying to weave into what we do, a genuine, you know, authentic part of not just trying to make money, but trying to be in the community. And we're now rolling out with Emma quite a big range of fabrics, not necessarily all floral. Some might just be about bees or some might be just about flowers. And the different products they might sit on might not just be bags, but we could be looking at homewares and that side of it. So that's a big part of, uh, from a product perspective, what we're looking to to roll out. And we feel very lucky with that collaboration that we have with, you know, someone with a pedigree like Emma. Um, equally, at the same time, we're working really hard on our website to deliver the best customer experience and to get you to understand our brand as quickly as possible. So I think there's a combination of, uh, product development, sort of unique, exclusive to us, our own designs, and then also at the same time backing that up with a really solid digital offering. That's what we're working on. Fantastic. And so for talking about the collaboration, we always like to ask a, an owner, founder, and, and a brand in terms of what their perfect collaboration would be. Emma Morstan is is a is a, an incredible collaboration, but if if on a hit list of Tom Cruise to Nathan and James Davey, for example, on a scale of collaborations. Um, be careful where, where what you answer you... here, James. <laughs> yeah, be yeah. careful. Uh, <laughs> where, who would be the perfect uh, either celebrity or brand endorsement or collaborator for Wilby's Bespoke, do you think? So that's, that's a really good, that's a really good question. And you're, you're asking completely the wrong guy. Uh, but so from a commercial, so from a commerce brand perspective, I would say the likes of the RHS um, uh, for me would, would, would be right now a very topical and great organization to work with. Uh, I, I think there would be so many other ideas out there, but I think right now a good example, a good brand association would be the RHS. A, because of the, the, the customer base they have, B, because of what they do, but C, because of the trust that automatically would bring to any customer coming to us. So the RHS is you know, definitely an organization that we are speaking to at the moment uh, and would be a good top-of-the-list target. That's amazing. James, thank you so much for your time today on, on Brand Designs. There are two last things I want to do. One is I want to um, give a shout-out to Wilby's Bespoke. So if you haven't seen the brand, visit online wilbysbespoke.com or follow them on Instagram, which is literally just at Wilby's Bespoke. And the last thing is that, James, you don't often want to talk about it or do talk about it, but James is an active member of the RNLI um, support team that volunteer and go out and um, uh, kind of literally rescue people from peril uh, I would say uh, I would say so the last piece is you know in the time of the lockdown it's been very difficult for charities to get support over this time so I'd just like to throw a shout out to the RNLI so if you are listening to the podcast please feel free to go and support what they do in any shape or form you can because it's an incredibly important uh, organization especially if you live by the coast or have anything to do uh, with the ocean or water so um, James thank you so much for your time it's been a great pleasure as usual and we look forward to catching up with you soon 
Yeah, thank you. Um, really lovely to speak to both of you. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity and uh, look forward to catching up soon. Take care. Cheers, James. Thanks. Cheers, James. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Brand Designs. Make sure you follow us on social at the Armoury Agency to be notified as we release each new episode. And if you're a brand owner or know someone who'd love to be part of our next series, drop us an email to social at the armory.agency. See you next time.